Welcome back to Inside the Daily Press. I'm Todd James, and I'm joined with our editor, Matt Hall. Today, we continue our election podcast series focusing on city council candidates. Today's candidate we will be interviewing is Tom Cizak. Tom is uh, an independent candidate, if you will. He is not an incumbent, and he is not part of the four-person slate that's running for city council. And Matt, what else can you tell us about Tom? Yep. So he's a fairly recent uh, resident of the city. He doesn't have some of the, I mean, some of the folks running have decades of history here and he doesn't quite have that, but he's um, been here a little bit. He's certainly looked around and seen some of the things going on. He He's very much from the city's tech perspective. Um, he has worked at Twitter and other places in the past, you know, most controversially for a lot of folks listening to this, he currently works for Bird, the uh, scooter company that was founded here in Santa Monica. You know, folks have a love-hate relationship with those devices. Um, so he, he certainly comes from the tech world and we do talk a little bit about Bird and its rollout and what he thought of the company prior to joining it. And so it, that, you know, he comes from a very different perspective than anyone else in this race. There's no one else running in this race who has quite the same first person experience with the tech industry that powers so much of the Santa Monica economy. And so that's that's a very interesting particular quirk of his candidacy that I think people people will be interested in and interested in hearing more about. Great. Let's get into it. Matt Hall and Tom Cizak. Folks, thanks for being here today. Uh, today we've got a city council challenger, um, Tom Cizak, who is a Santa Monica resident. Uh, Tom, thank you very much for being here today. Why don't you take a minute and tell folks who you are and why you're running for city council? Hi, thanks, Matt. Yes, I'm Tom Cizak. Hello, Santa Monicans. I'm an Ocean Park resident, have been since 2005, 2006. I've worked in data and analytics my entire career. Uh, starting at the Rand Corporation, where I focused on cybersecurity and insider threat research. Uh, and that was after I moved to, to Santa Monica from, uh, from North Carolina, where I was uh, completing graduate studies in computer and information science at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, I uh, have managed a digital marketing agency over by the airport in the business park there uh, in, uh, about 10 years ago. I uh, managed a team doing website marketing, search engine marketing, search and social marketing in 2013. Started a software company here in Santa Monica uh, called CoJoin. Uh, after that, I've worked at uh, Twitter uh, for about five years. I currently work at Bird. Uh, more, more recently, I've joined the Chamber of Commerce. I've started my second business here in Santa Monica, uh, a, a business for actors. Um, and I you know, have been doing volunteer work uh, with uh, Catholic Charities uh, over at St. Robert's Center. Um, I'm a member of the the parish finance council at St. Clement's Catholic Church as well. Uh, so my wife and I really love Santa Monica and, uh, and want to commit to, uh, to living here and, and raising a family here as well. Um, why am I running? Uh, public service. My priority is, is you, uh, the residents. I'm accountable. Um, and, uh, and I know this will be hard. Um, so I, I'm, I'm here to rise to the challenge and, and help our city solve some of the most difficult problems uh, I think it's faced since I've lived here. So just quick personal question. Did, did you get married in the Vatican or at a Vatican-adjacent facility? We were uh, planning on that uh, until COVID. As, you, as we all know, uh, Italy was, uh, was struck first. So 
the planned wedding for May is still on hiatus. But yeah, so it's a side chapel. Uh, the Capella del Coro um, is where they, they host weddings at uh, in St. Peter's Basilica. I actually think that's interesting. No, nothing to do with running for city council. I just thought that's an interesting tidbit. Oh, yeah. it's um, We didn't know it was possible. And then we asked. So... <laughs> That's good. Good. That's a good starting point. Um, so, so you mentioned helping the city with its most pressing problems. What What are those? Absolutely. I think you know we we're facing you know a, a vacant Main Street when I walk down it. I think economic recovery is the the first and foremost piece of of the puzzle we have to solve as a community. That means attracting businesses, retaining businesses, providing new opportunities for businesses to operate. Uh, in in our city, um, and uh, and I think second to that, in and you know, concurrent to that is uh, is our, our safety, and that's the safety of our businesses and our residents, and um, you know, our the safety of our unhoused residents as well. Um, so I think that uh, the public safety and economic recovery are are kind of you know uh, uh, connected, and uh, and and I think those are the the two areas of focus I, I would like to. To jump on first. Of course, we want a cleaner, greener, friendlier Santa Monica. Of course, we want senior services that uh, that are second to none. But I, I don't think we can get there without a, uh, a vibrant uh, economy as well as a, a safe environment to uh, to to live, work, and play in. So, so let's start with economic recovery because that's where you started, right? Santa Monica has long had a reputation for not being business friendly, and there's incumbents who will be like, "No, we, that's not our reputation." Bullcrap. The city has a reputation for not being business friendly. There's an absolute reputation for difficulties opening businesses here, dealing with permitting, financial restraints, whatever you want to call it. So how, like, what do you look at when you're looking at the city and talking about economic recovery? Are you looking at retail? Are you looking at offices? Are you looking at something else? Like what, what does the, what is it you mean when you say economic recovery? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd ask my fellow candidates how many of them have started a business in Santa Monica this year. Uh, I have. I know the extra charge that they threw on after I paid my city permit fee. It's straightforward to get a, a business license in Santa Monica, but it's not straightforward to start a business. And the the city does not provide the learning, the tools, the connections to the chamber, to your, the resources that I think um, a new business or even, uh, you know, an experienced business operator uh, requires to to get up and running with the city. Um, and I don't think it, it is any one particular class of businesses, whether it's service, retail, restaurant, uh, tourism. Apparently, the city does not have a difficult time endorsing and building additional hotels. Um, I believe we have 40 or more hotels already in the city. I've been trying to get some information on occupancy rates um, as well as uh, affordability of those those hotels. And so, you know, I really want to challenge the assumption that hotel and tourism is the only business opportunity available to to us. Um, I think that we need businesses that are operated by residents, as well as, um, you know, uh, uh, diversity in our, our business and, and, you know, kind of commerce activity here in Santa Monica. So when you're talking about economic recovery and impact, right? Let's break down some of the, the things around that. Like we asked candidates mm-hmm. on our survey to you about the importance of tourism and the importance of the workforce on the economy, right? And there's varying levels yeah. to that. But do you think there's enough people here in the city as residents to support what, what the, a pre-COVID level eco- economic activity? Like obviously now post-COVID 
stuff's different, right? But if you look at the city's economy was maybe not perfect, but it was doing fairly, it was doing pretty well, right? Businesses were doing well pre-COVID. Do you think there's enough residents here without the tourists and the workers to get us back to that level? Or do we need some tourism and some of those workers back? Yeah, tourism is absolutely critical to the long-term health of our city. It, it has been since the city was founded. Um, and, uh, you know, even for local tourists, right, residents of L.A. County. I think that, you know, how important is the commuting workforce to our local economy? I think it's, you know, also very important. And, and yeah, how do we how do we get there? I would say that, you know, business has not always been good for all businesses. If you look at the north side of town versus the south side of town, you'll see differences in, in the business activity. Um, you know, even if you look at that, that Lincoln corridor and, uh, and how the central business, you know, downtown area of, of Santa Monica differs from south of I-10. So I think, you know, ensuring that, that we develop, you know, sustainably uh, and, and conscientiously, I think that tourism is absolutely going to, to be something that comes back here. I think that, you know, we also need to look to, to our residents first, providing affordable and you know, uh, not just tourist prices to to our residents. I remember being able to go eat at Norms and Swingers, and my option now is Mel's. And uh, you know, I love I love Mel's, but it it pinches the pay you know pinches my pocket a little bit. So, you know, I think that, that thinking about that and thinking about you know where where are the residents spending our time? You know, when was the last time you know uh, a Sunset Park resident went down to the promenade and why? Um, I think, you know, we, we need to understand, you know, what benefits um, our own well-being as well as that of, of our, our thriving, uh, hopefully to soon be, again, thriving tourist um, population. So, so two things there. Um, I think both of these focus in on the same idea, which is like, what can you actually do from the dais to address these concerns? And so in the specifics of like eating out, you mentioned norms and swingers, like, great. City council can do nothing to de- determine what a restaurant charges for its pricing, right? That's That's the market. So what can be done? Like, what can you do from the dais to address those concerns? From, from the dais, right? How do we yep. incentivize businesses to return to Santa Monica? And I think that this is through, you know, through partnerships, through programs, um, and, uh, and through, through zoning, you know, changes, which we obviously have to make uh, to accommodate the housing. Um, I think that, you know, where, where we're thinking about, you know, where do our workers, you know, live? How do they get to work? Um, where do they eat before, after, during? Where do they buy their groceries? All of these are questions I think, from a city planning perspective, um, have been missed through, you know, through I think more short-sighted planning. Right? We still do not have a long-term general plan that accommodates any of a strategy for for how do we fit all of this in uh, citywide, um, or how do we distribute housing fairly, or how you know. So I think we use data. To solve this problem from the dais, um, and we uh, and, and we make recommendations for for how we achieve these goals. Um, you know, I think that insofar as um, um, you know, there there is nothing that we can do to set um, specific prices, but we do have you know some tax leverage, and I think that there's you know likely an opportunity there. What, what do you mean by tax leverage? Um, well, the city often puts up additional taxes uh, on the ballot. For example, you know the endorsement of um, our current real estate parcel tax of over five million dollars. So I think that there are you know opportunities to either provide incentives, tax breaks, or um, incentives away from uh, uh, you know Santa Monicans. Uh, uh, according to the voting that I've been looking at, 
traditionally vote for more taxes. Maybe over 60 percent of Santa Monicans will vote for more taxes when when put on the ballot over the last decade, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, some, I mean, the, back, the ballot measures typically succeed. There's some that don't, right? We've had some ups yeah. and downs. But so maybe it's uh, through subsidization. Maybe it's through, you know, I think there are a number of policy mechanisms that we could, you know, look at um, in, in terms of how do we provide for, um, you know, again, like I'm saying, uh, diversity in um, what, what is here in Santa Monica. I mean, so, so, so there's some things you can do, but there's some things you can't do, right? There's, there's actually a canon of law that you can't really subsidize private businesses and market rates like there's a whole there's a whole list of reasons why you can't rent control commercial businesses like there's limits on what you can do but yeah the city does some things for businesses and like you you mentioned swingers right swingers when swingers went out they didn't mention tax subsidies and they didn't talk about a lack of customers they did mention um, or allude to the minimum wage right like they specifically talked about the that as a one of the reasons that they chose not to continue at that location um and, you know, there have been other businesses that have referenced the minimum wage in Santa Monica and how that's impacted local businesses. There's been discussions about the way the minimum wage impacts back of house versus front of house and the fact that it doesn't actually necessarily impact the delivery services that are now, you know, maybe taking 30 percent from some restaurants. And so when you're looking at the, this broader speaking, like things you can do, like, have you looked at the minimum wage ordinance? Do you think that may be a point of discussion for ways that could help local businesses? Um, well, I, I think there's a number of things to think about, too, right? We're talking about the future in the next four years, um, Matt. And so, yeah, I, I do think, you know, livable wages, you know, beyond minimal wages are extremely important. Um, and, you know, the, the, the city can and should speed up our deadline to meeting, you know, the new minimum wage requirements. Um, I think that the impact that this will have on businesses, just like COVID is having on businesses, is requiring them to adapt. Whether that means changing their point of sale system, means changing their entire business model, means launching a new business, um, you know, leveraging technology is something that I feel the city has been missing in that, you know, we had a moniker of Silicon Beach for a while, you know, five years ago. Um, but I feel like we've, we've sort of missed out on that, too. I think that, you know, dining, the entire dining experience, if, if you go to a restaurant today, is different than, than it was in the past. And I think that, you know, a lot of these habits will continue to change and shift. And, and whether those are behavioral habits of your customers um, uh, or, or the behavioral habits of, of the businesses that, that provide services and, and products to those customers, um, I think that, you know, th those are the two things that, that are going to be, be changing in the next four years. And so, so you mentioned Silicon Beach there and, and the tech industry, and obviously that's where you're from, do you, you, yeah. you currently work for Bird or, and you started a new business or did you, did you used to work for Bird and then you've since transitioned to your new business? I started a uh, business in 2018 uh, when I was uh, at Twitter um, and I, uh, uh, Bird is my current employer. Um, I continue to operate the business that, that I started in 2018. Gotcha. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, as you know, a former uh, tweet, uh, at, at Twitter, I, I don't feel like the city engaged with, with us. Um, and, and I feel like that's something that I would gladly do. I'm, I'm already doing that, whether that's relationships I have with existing entrepreneurs, um, businesses in town, um, and the industry at large. 
I think attracting that to Santa Monica is something that's important to me. So going to Bird for a second, I mean, Bird's a controversial company locally. There, there are people that hate scooters. There are people that hate Bird as a concept. I used to be one and of so them. So how do you feel about the way Bird came to the city, rolled out its products, and interacted with, with Santa Monica, you know, pre-COVID, because post-COVID everything's changed. But like, what did you think about him? I was very frustrated by that experience. And so that's one of the reasons that I have chosen to identify a problem. The city did not address the problem and I've, you know, sought to fix it. I've worked at Bird since April, 2019. Um, but it was frustrating for me to see. And so, so you're working, what do you work? What is the problem that you're working to fix at Bird? Uh, uh, global data insights and compliance with cities. And so, is so when it comes to the the critiques around how that rolled out, right? Like, was it the city's fault for not regulating them properly? Was it Bird's fault for you know not going slower? Like, what? How? Where do you think the fault lies in the way that Bird's products rolled out here? I, Matt, I think that's a really tough question to answer. Um, you know, it's it's like saying, you know. Who, whose fault is the automobile? Um, and, and I think that there's, you know, if you want to blame, there's plenty of blame. Uh, but I think, you know, again, I'm really focused on solutions. Uh, I solve problems for a living. I have done this for 10 years. And, and that's what I want to do for the city when it comes to mobility. And it's not, you know, the Breeze bike share funding is something that needs to be decided eminently. Um, the big blue bus ridership numbers. I don't know if anyone's seen the numbers from 2020 yet, but I'm trying to get a hold of them. So I think transportation mobility and the disparity of transportation in Santa Monica is a challenge and it needs to be affordable. So just tying this all together. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think everyone should be doing better. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about the breeze, like breeze is done, like as a concept, it, it's not. I mean, it could be restarted. Absolutely. Right. But those, what, those where yeah, those, where could that money have been better spent? Right. And so, you know, those those green bikes are leaving. We lost the jump bikes. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, we will have new, I believe they're lift bikes that will be on the market. And by the time this podcast comes out, I think Metro will have pulled off, will have removed its e-assist bikes from the marketplace and moved to a only docked classic bike system. Um, so I think this is an interesting point and one that other candidates aren't really talking about. Like, so when you're, when you're looking at mobility, whether it's micro mobility or public transit, like what do you think needs to be done? Like where, where do you think time and effort should be spent in addressing the mobility challenges the city faces? Yeah. So I think we need to be supporting LA Metro and working with LA Metro, whether that means integrations with payments, right. With tap cards, uh, whether that means, you know, I just see our city as being a wonderful multimodal community spanning businesses and connecting its residents to L.A. But instead, with the exception of micromobility providers, we're a transportation desert. So I, I really want to eliminate this disparity, like I said, and empower Santa Monicans to be safe, affordable and efficiently transported throughout our city and Los Angeles. So I think this means big blue bus routing and scheduling optimization. You know, we need experienced transportation operations researchers um, to take a look at this and, and free our residents, you know, shifting from natural gas to electric vehicle fleets, 
Um, and then, like I, you know, like you were saying, dock and dockless scooter and bike share can be regulated in a safe and, and beneficial manner, both for the operators and, and its customers. So um, I think we also need smarter parking. You know, most of the space that I see in our town is consumed by cars. And so w- when you say smarter parking, w- what does that mean? Fewer cars. Fewer cars. So transitioning people out of cars into other s- transportation options, I mean, that's been the city's mantra for years, right? And we talk about Big yeah, Blue Bus. we've been a leader yeah, in it. You talk yeah. about Big Blue Bus rerouting. I mean, Big Blue Bus is constantly rerouting itself and constantly yes. losing ridership. Like, it's it, that nothing that's this. I'm not saying it's deck chairs on the I, Titanic. Since I like, lived here, I looked at the graph since 2005. Four. Yeah. And so do, do you think do you think you there's a way to get people back into buses? Like, is is there a way to increase transit ridership? The steroid shot for this is fareless transit, which is what Metro's talking about now. Yeah. Well, and, you know, if you have increased ridership, you can attract additional funding. So. Yeah, so that's one of the ideas is that if you make them free, more people will ride it. So, do you think that's the challenge? Is it? I mean, I I can't remember off the top of my head. I think Big Blue Bus is what a dollar twenty five. Like, is it is cost the reason people aren't riding it, or are people not riding? No, it's accessibility, right? And we need more accessible partnerships directly with the operators, including Uber and Lyft, um, and and Bird, and you know these deep partnerships with direct contact. Um, I think we'll improve that accessibility and make this accessible so that, you know, to all of us. Um, and I, and I think it's that dialogue. It's, you know, it's, 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 um, you know, one of the things I want to commit to doing too, is like a ride with Tom, um, you know, do, do a biweekly bike ride, a scooter ride and, you know, get out and meet everybody. And, you know, I, I take all the forms of transportation, but, you know, I would got to admit, I don't take the bus as much because it doesn't take me to where I need to go as fast as I could get there on a bike. Yeah, I got you. Um, and so, you know, we, we deviated into mobility here. This wasn't necessarily on your list of, oh, of, yeah, we'll come back. of uh, top priorities. Um, but you did also mention safety. And I think safety does have a connection to mobility because one of the reasons people who hate scooters hate them is they claim they're, that they're unsafe both to operate and unsafe as a, a hazard. But also people talk about public safety on the buses, on the trains. You know, people say that the reason they don't ride buses and trains is because they're unsafe, true or not, that that is a complaint. So, you know, what, when you're talking about public safety, what do you think the challenge in public safety is and, and how would you solve it? Um, I think the challenge is the, the feeling and the reality that, that you aren't safe. Um, I think that part of this is um, you know, hearsay part of it is observe, you know, observing, or part of it is just more general information. Um, having the citizen app, having Nextdoor, having Facebook groups, having, you know, a constant stream of information telling you what's going on, you know, around where you live, I think heightens your awareness of, you know, threats or potential threats to your safety. Um, so I think solutions to this are, you know, getting, getting police out of cruisers, um, you know, having our community well-being officers, on bicycles, on foot patrols, you know, connecting with with residents and visitors, um, you know, having a, a friendly um, greeting and and you know from a, a safety officer on the train platforms when you arrive and not being greeted to a man in full body armor and an assault rifle, 
I think is, you know, it sets the tone for who we are as Santa Monica. And, uh, and so I think, you know, this falls into to friendly and, and clean. Um, you know, we need to be doing code enforcement. I see, you know, you're running a great piece on, on you know, that today in the daily press. So what, what I think we need to do is, is have that presence and that community, you know, relationship. I've been reading, you know, old um, evening outlooks from uh, 100 years ago, um, you know, to pass the time here during COVID. And, uh, you know, it's and there are calls from the police to the citizens to help. And, and I haven't seen or heard that here um, as much. Right. Like, I, I, of course, to help identify the, the perpetrators of May 31st, I think there have been clear calls. But but I think in general, you know, and, and building those neighborhood watch and, and, you know, working with our neighborhood associations um, to uh, to kind of restitch our community fabric here. And so that was a long. No, answer. no, no, it's fine. But like it also <laughs> yeah. I mean, so. All the ch- everyone is saying the same thing when it comes to this. Everyone's like, "Yeah, we just put the police on the streets and have them talk to people and let them see the like that." Everyone seems to have the same response to that. And and what about a bike theft task force? Uh, uh, is there anyone else? No, I don't know if anyone said that. But but my my, my my question around this is like, then if that was the solution, why aren't the police doing it? Right? They're the subject matter experts. There, there's people in the police department who are deciding. I'd love to hear directly from the chief as to why. Um, I think we need a deputy chief for community well-being. Um, we need legislative support for mental health funding and for additional mental health beds. We need, um, you know, and we need a civilian transparency oversight committee. I don't know what we're delaying for here. Yeah, and so they, you know, they, that's the civilian oversight committee is one of the ideas that came out of the uh, the black agenda discussion that Santa Monica had recently um, and seems to be universally accepted, right? I haven't, I haven't heard anyone in opposition to that idea. But it costs money. Uh, yeah, everything, right? Everything does. And so, and so that's when we, we get into some of the things that you, you just talked about are, you know, how do you pay for everything? And also, where can you, where should the city be putting its effort in some of these things, right? So we talk about legislative support for mental health services, right? Absolutely. Which relates to homelessness mostly, right? That's mostly a homelessness yes. issue. Which is another thing we talked so in transitioning into homelessness, like that would be great if we can get that, right? It would be awesome if the state would fund something or the feds, can't or, count right. on it. Exactly. So so what what can the city do? What can the city of Santa Monica do to address the homelessness crisis? Um, and yeah, certainly asking for state aid is part of it. But if they say no, yeah, like, I mean, what well, can the city not just do? state aid, but it's authorization from the California legislature to issue citations for municipal violations and other misdemeanor citations. Um, it's redefining endanger, you know, grave endangerment. It's redefining encampment. So I think it's not just funding that, that you know, yes, of course, appropriation of funds for mental health units and early intervention are great. But yeah, I think what can we do today? Yes, uh, we're doing it. You know, I, I think you. Your paper ran the piece about, you know, Walgreens and community organizations and residents coming together with, you know, our, our, our police to solve this problem. But, you know, I think, it, you know, that's that's one example. And I think we need dozens of those. Um, and I think it needs to be, you know, done quickly, compassionately and humanely and, and, and you know, on a on a cadence, too. It's not a one time um, effort that needs to be made here. So do you think the police department needs well, – so I say this. When we talk about some of the things you mentioned, 
you know, you can't involuntarily commit somebody at this point in time. There's conservatorship laws around taking someone off the streets. Like an encampment has to be a very specific definition. It's not just sleeping on the streets. Um, you can issue misdemeanor tickets, but due to things like Prop 47 and 57, you can't actually take someone to jail for them. Or if you do, uh, it's a catch and release system that they're, they're put back out. So do you think, do you think we need more police to solve this? Do you look at this as, as an inter, it sounds like you, you look at this as an interdisciplinary approach, right? Where you're talking about bringing in mental health professionals and involving the fire department and involving the police department like, I guess I'm looking at it as, again, going back to the idea of what can Santa Monica actually do? Well, yeah, right? can the like, fire department solve our housing crisis? Well, they have a lot of good maps of where everything is, right? So, yeah, I mean, think about it this way, Matt, right? How many police staff per 10,000 residents do we have in Santa Monica? About four and a half. And it, that's total, right? Sworn and non-sworn. Yeah, it's the whole department. Sworn and non-sworn police staff. How many does San Jose have? How many does Wilmington, Delaware have? How many, you know, so this varies. San Jose has about three. D.C. has 57. And that's officers, I think, per 10,000. Delaware, I think, for, for Wilmington, Delaware, 43 per 10,000 residents. Um, we need to base staffing decisions on uh, systematic analysis of our agency's current and projected workloads. We need to be looking at calls and outcomes of those calls. I've looked at the, the DOJ research, right? We need performance-based approach to staffing, which relies in part on our dispatch and understanding dispatch and routing dispatch. So I think that, you know, that's, I think, one of my solutions is to really fight this with data and to, to you know, understand how we, you know, how we staff and how we can staff better. So what does your data tell you about the staff? Do, do we need more police officers? Do we have, is this uh, too hot, too cold, or just right? Do we have enough? Do we need more? Like, what does it tell you about the number of police officers we have? Well, I, if you ask the police, they're going to ask us to restore our, you know, I think we lost um, uh, a public safety officer. And, you know, so I think, you know, we look to potentially restore the, you know, the, the gap of community service, uh, you know, officers, community well-being officers that do not need to be sworn um, to, to, I think, you know, be there. I, you know, I see our, our parking enforcement officers as the eyes and ears of our police force, you know, sometimes. Um, and they're the ones who are escalating, you know, and I see this in the field, escalating, you know, some of these issues um, to, to interventionists um, or, or in the case of a, a, an urgent matter of public safety to the police. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, it, it's a matter of, of resource allocation um, as, as much as it is to, um, you know, w working with what we have. Gotcha. So, you know, when you're looking at other data approaches, other things you've been researching, like what what are the other data points that you're looking at that you think the city should be paying attention to? Housing data. Um, I'm still struggling to get a count of permitted ADUs in the city. And are they resident occupied or, or not? Um, I think we, you know, we are just somehow data poor. So I think, you know, having a housing census of sorts for us to understand and then also, you know, fairly devise a distribution, you know, strategy for the arena obligations is uh, is a must. And we, we should have started on this, you know, last year. Um, do, do you but, think we uh, need to but, meet the arena obligations? 
uh, isn't that a law? Yeah. I mean, it's there, there, there's candidates running that say no, that say we don't need to meet. Well, do we need to wear a face mask? Yeah, I mean, but this is this is the this these are decision I'm points just, that people are going to be basing their votes on, right? Like, there's there's candidates who will say the arena obligations are both unfair and meaningless, and that the city shouldn't be building any more housing. It certainly shouldn't be building that many units. And yes, the ar- the argument I- against not building them is that the obligations are obligations in name only, and if you don't build them, nothing happens to you. Well, I look forward to hearing Richard Bloom and Ben Allen's response on this. Because I don't, I haven't heard them directly asked and answered this question. Right, but they're not—they're not running for city council, right? So it just sure. I mean, you know, you the the options here don't appear to be anything other than binary, are they? Again, it depends on who you like. If you don't build your arena allocation, and I can go and check, but there's not like, the, Teeth. yeah, it's you just so you shrug your shoulders and the state says wags its finger at you and says shame on you. And that, but because that's exactly well, how we've gotten into the situation we're in, where you look at housing distribution amongst all the Southern California cities, and that's why it's not equal, right? And that's why there are some places that haven't simply haven't built very much housing over the last ten years, and it's not like they've lost federal funding or state funding for anything. Um, and so, so there's a philosophical question around, fun, I guess, philosophically, do you think the city of Santa Monica needs more housing, regardless of its obligations under the the RENA allocation? Do you think the city needs more housing? Philosophically, the city would need to reduce its water consumption for us to add considerable amounts of more housing here, right? So we need to build within our means. Um, And, uh, you know, I I typically say we could put 10,000 units here tomorrow and they're not necessarily going to be affordable, but people will live in them. We could build West Coast Miami on the Venice Beach, you know, at South Beach Hill, you know, where we already have those towers. They tried that. Uh, The city rejected it. Is it going to happen again? No, I don't think so. So, yeah, I love the beach town we live in. I think that, you know, we need to be responsible with the resources we have and listen to our residents. um, And uh, and I think also listen to our voters in in this matter. Um, I don't think, you know, me unilaterally making a decision about you know, I, I'm for preservation of neighborhoods. And I think that if there is a way for us to preserve the character of our neighborhoods um, and, you know, and, and in part meet our housing goals, I think that's that's the way forward. Gotcha. So it doesn't sound like you are advocating for the arena goals. Your approach there is no. if we are mandated to build them, there needs to be a fair and equitable way to do it. Yeah, gotcha. I obey the law. Gotcha. And, but I just want to make sure that we – I didn't, didn't want, didn't want re- listeners to think that because you were talking about the RENA allocations, you were advocating for significantly more housing, right? Like, I don't think the state knows our community as well as we know our community. Gotcha. Um, all right. So on, on the topic of housing, you know, housing leads into all th- our discussions of other types of development, right? Housing is one kind of development, but there's – also commercial real estate and there's other kinds of developments that are going on in town. Like where, where, where are you on the development debate, right? We've got large scale projects at like Lincoln and Olympic. We've got the proposed Miramar redevelopment. There's a proposal for, you know, fourth, fifth in Arizona. How's that Gary building? Right, thing? exactly. Nobody, I don't hear anybody talking about the that. The Gary project is out there. Well, it's not as far along the development pipeline, right? Like it's not. It's okay. it's just further back than the other ones. It's not that it's not coming. It just it's, seems bigger. I don't it's know. It's down down the line a little bit. So, you know, what are your thoughts on all of those? 
well, I would say that the decisions to build those were made in a different time and setting. Uh, so, so like, what about so the Miramar, for example? Like, the decision to whether or not to build that is potentially happening. Uh, well, tomorrow from this podcast, it re, it's in, on the near term. Last week, yeah, from, from when people yeah. will be listening to it again. It has happened already. So, What's the future so have for us? Do Matt? you think, like, would you, if you were on council today, would you be approving the Miramar project? No. And pump the brakes. And would you be so similarly? If you were on council today, would you be approving the plaza, which is the one at Fourth, Fifth, and Arizona? Pump the brakes there too. I mean, with that, there's going to be. I need to look at the cost-benefit analysis for how much this is going to cost us as a city if we do, right? So a lot of these decisions are inherited, right? You need We need a cost-benefit analysis. That's the bottom line of, like, how, how much in legal will this cost us and, you know, how can we recover it? But I, I think that space should not be made for development. It should be made for space. It's public land. So, and again, there's differences between the plaza and, say, the Miramar, right? Because exactly that. The Correct. plaza is a public land. The Miramar is private property. And so if you, when you're looking at, say, the Mir- your opposition to the Miramar expansion, is that based? Public outcry. That's cause you, you, so that's, you think the public don't want it, therefore well, because I listen shouldn't. to and respond to emails uh, that citizens send me on the matter. Gotcha. And so – like we have, like we get stuff here, and like there's, there are people who think it should be built, right? It's not uni- I would love to hear from them. Like, you know, we've published some of their letters in the paper, right? There's, there's, there are. I don't think it's universally. I don't think Santa Monica's are universal on anything, right? There's a well. Let a me large say diversity. this: the outcrying appears to be around congestion, traffic, and uh, you know, mobility. Let's bring it back to that. So I think that that needs to be the prioritization to to solve for. You know, should should this go forward? And so, that, so that again, when we talk about the Miramar, like I, I agree that currently what people are talking about is the traffic and mobility, but I don't think people actually. Just, I just people think I think people just don't want it, right? I don't. I think the people who don't want it wouldn't be happy if it gets built, but just solves its traffic problem. I think the people who don't want it to be built do not want the space to be changed, and they do not want the condos. They do not. They just don't want it built, and so traffic may be the reason they're opposing it today i think if the miramar came in tomorrow and was like hey totally redesigned the traffic flow guys problem solved i don't think that would alleviate the opposition to it at all i think well i would love to hear from them on that though yeah well what i mean maybe it would though i guess we, we maybe right we, we, we can we can speculate i'm i'm not so sure it's a traffic problem i think it's a, diver, a development and densification issue um well, that, that's likely if we were to root cause this, likely the case. And that conversation has been going on again for 100 plus years in Santa Monica. Yep. It's, I mean, and, you know, while the Miramar hasn't been 100 plus years, they've been almost a decade at well, it, right? Like they, they, they've, they've won. But the decision to develop, uh, you know, develop along the, the beach front, for example, below Palisades, um, you know, that, that was 100 years ago, I think. Yep. You, you yeah. The houses along the PCH? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, they 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 certainly have been there for a while, right? And I'm trying to think when the when the earliest one of those. I mean, that goes back. I'm trying to think when the um, Marion Davies guest house. I can't remember off the top of my mm. head when that was built, right? But maybe the teens or the twenties. Yeah, because yeah, she was. I, I in my head, I have a memory of that as being a roaring twenties esque project, but I can't. Yeah, early twenties. Well, I, and I think it's so important that we understand our history so that we can not fail in making mistakes as we have before. 
um, or, you know, or that we can succeed as we have before, too. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I think that's something that's important. But, yeah, obviously, this is an ongoing debate, but open to, to hearing all sides and arguments. And, you know, again, I think we need to guide ourselves with with data and objective research um, in making these decisions. Gotcha. Um, so are there were there uh, so we've talked about we've you know, been through bird we've been through economic safety homelessness some development stuff were there what other are there other topics that you you wanted to talk about um, our budget how's that looking so you so you so you're you're talking the the post covid city budget right because again mm-hmm. everything has this weird pre and post covid like qualifier to it right like what was the situation in January? So well, we can talk different about the situation today. Like, too. no, I'm just. We can talk about you know. I, so, so what? Are, what is it on the budget? Are you, you know, what about the budget? Do you think requires change or or? I just think it's we're going to need to live within our means, right? And we are going to need to. We can't plan outside of our kind of COVID era budget. I think for the potentially for the next few four years. Um, so I think it's going to require resource allocation and portfolio optimization within that budget. Um, it's going to require, you know, uh, external funds too, state, county, federal, if we can get them. So elaborate for folks on what you mean by, by when you're talking about reprioritization. Like, so the city ha- had a budget. There was a massive projected shortfall. The amount of mm-hmm. that shortfall varied and changed almost week to week as we went through these budget discussions, right? There was a lot of updates and projections and no one was really sure quite how much money the city was going to lose due to uh, TOT revenues bottoming out and restaurants closing and all this kind of stuff, right? So a budget was implemented. We cut hundreds of millions of dollars. There was a bunch of people who were fired. Over 300. And, and yeah, the total. And so, and so then we don't know, but we still, we don't actually don't know. We don't know what the budget projections are going to look like next year, right? Like this is, I think one of the scariest things about the budget is, is there going to be a Christmas shopping season? Like, we don't know. I, I don't know, right? Like, what does Black Friday look like here? Like, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know. It's, 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 I think it's a lot of fear associated with this, I, this unknown of what the budget will look like. Um, so how what do you think the city like what's the city's top budgeting priority for you like if if we're faced with more budget cuts if we have to cut more money from the budget what is what's the top priority for you for either saving or cutting where do you think we should go well we need to look at the proposed biennial capital improvement budget which is contained in this fiscal 2021 proposed budget and you know i in in my opinion we we have to uh, restore, you know, programs and services and the tools that that provide well-being for our citizens um, and safety for our citizens first, um, and and kind of you know that ideally catalyze economic activity. Um, so I think that you know uh, the reliance on tourism and hospitality as that comes back needs to be you know matched with. Um, you know, an improved focus on our safety and, and mobility, I think, too, right? So the economic spillover effects, you know, are present to, to help our economy along. Um, I think, you know, going, going line by line, right, we look at, you know, everything from, from fire to, you know, um, 
to to police and and our homelessness uh, programs and housing programs. Um, and I and I really think that the the proposed budget, you know, as you you were highlighting, is is going to be changing, um, you know, uh, dynamically um, and and needs to be agile. Uh, however, we don't have a short-term COVID plan. I want a six-month plan. I want a 12-month plan. And then I also want a 24- and 48-month plan uh, for, for budgeting. And, and I think that you know we're just missing line-of-sight short-term and line-of-sight long-term. And I think all of that would give everybody you know, peace of mind that, that our city is thinking about and planning for the future rather than um, you know, just responding to you know, being, being, um, being responsive to the conditions, uh, that we're in. Gotcha. All right. Uh, so we're, we're, we're coming up on an hour of conversation, which is kind of not a hard cutoff, but you know, it's, it's a place where I know a lot of folks start to lose interest in podcasts. <laughs> like the hour mark for a lot of folks is where they, they think about doing something else. Um, so before we get to that point, Two things. So we we talked about the budget a little bit there. Is there is there another topic that you want to make sure you get a chance to address before we hit that mark? And if not, uh, want to give you a chance to to sort of make a closing statement or stump speech or vote for Tom um, pitch. Yeah, only that you know we're we we cut nearly a quarter of our budget. You know, over a fifth of our budget relative to the the 2019-2020 budget, and and I think that you know that hurts. But also, you know, where were we spending that money that we're still operating everything sort of okay today? Um, and, and I think that's, you know, one of the things I want to be fiscally responsible for, for, you know, and stewards to, to our, our citizens and residents and businesses um, for how the city spends money to get the best return on that investment for well-being, safety, um, and, uh, and, and economic, um, you know, productivity. Um, so, yeah, in terms of, uh, yeah. Any other topics you wanted to hit, Matt? No, no. I'm, I, like I said, I'm, I'm happy to, like, I take my cues from the things you guys suggest. So I feel like we, we covered all the topics that were on on your list. So that's that's the plan. So what, why don't you go ahead and, and like I say, clo- closing statement. Like, what's your, what's your vote for Tom Pitch? Yeah, I just applaud Santa Monica and, and all of our Santa Monicans for, for everything that we do to make this city uh, a place I love living in. Um, I'm, I'm most um, humbled by the process for, for running uh, for council this fall. And, uh, and I encourage all of the candidates to, to you know, thoroughly review and, and think about their choices. Um, my website is TomForSantaMonica.com, TomForSantaMonica.com. Uh, and I, you know, I really want to put data to work for our city uh, to, to make it um, you know, the best place that, that I've ever lived and, and ever want to live. So um, I look forward to, uh, to um, hearing from all of you. You can share your thoughts with me directly at my website, TomForSantaMonica.com. And I hope to uh, connect with each of you as, uh, as we look towards this fall. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Santa Monica Politics Podcast, powered by the Santa Monica Daily Press. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Music for the Santa Monica Politics Podcast is provided by The Brig Band. The Brig Band is an L.A. jam band that's been playing on the West Side since 2002. Their regular members and guests have played professionally with everyone from Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, and Stevie Wonder, 
to The Doors, Fishbone, and Steely Dan. If you want to find out where they're playing next, go to thebrigband.com.